And I want to invite you to turn to that passage I just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be looking at this chapter in our continued study of this Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I believe what the Holy Spirit would say to us through God's word this morning and how we respond to what God would call us to in this very familiar passage, I really believe it has the power to transform our lives and to secure, uh, potentially to set the future of, uh, of our walk and our witness together as God's people in the body of Christ. I believe that if we would and we will give ourselves wholeheartedly, both personally and corporately as members of Christ's body, to understanding and embracing and exercising and, and experiencing not just the, the theological truths that are found in this scripture, but actually the, the practical realities lived out in relationship together of these few verses, that Lord willing, we would see a renewal of our hearts, a revival of our church, a, 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 a reconciliation, a redemption happening in our community around us in a way far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. I do believe that. Because that is what God tells us about how we are to live in light of who he is and what he has done as a God who loves us and has sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. What the Apostle Paul writes here in these familiar words is at its core the key, the essential ingredient in, the, in what we might call the recipe of the Christian life. It is the focal point of the message and the ministry of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. We've all had it, heard it read at weddings. We, we see it embroidered and calligraphied on all kinds of, of crafts and cards. We, uh, uh, it's probably one of the most uh, um, uh, quoted verses by Christians and non-Christians alike. But it is, in fact, as we go through it, one of the most convicting descriptions and challenging calls to the self-sacrificing, self-denying, cruciform love of Jesus Christ, lived out practically and put into action together as members of the body of Christ in his church. It is, as Paul notes in the last verse of chapter 12 and the first verse of chapter 14, the more excellent way that is to be pursued, the way of love. And what Paul gives us here is not a lofty ode or a lyrical tribute to romantic sentiment or some universal sense of goodwill, but really a, a pastoral admonition and an exhortation given to a church that finds itself prone to and pursuing the more divisive way of self-centered pride, as was the church in Corinth. And so as I, as I read it for us, I want us to ask God to really, through this, speak his love over us, and pour his love into us that we would be and that we would continue to become vessels of that same love to others for his glory and for our good. So let's pray and then I'll read. Father, as we come to your word, we ask again that you would speak to our hearts, but you would not just speak, Lord, you would fill us 
to the fullness with your spirit, that you would pour your love into us by your spirit, that we might overflow, and that our love for you would be manifest in our love for one another and for the world around us. Father, make us mindful of of what you have said, that we cannot love you and hate our brother. We cannot love you and not live in love with one another. And so we pray that you would impart not only your truth, but impart your truth in love to us, that we might indeed live in love according to that truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes and God speaks in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face... Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing and now the teaching of his holy word. This passage sits in the middle, as we've seen, of, uh, of Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth. And in particular here, his instructions concerning spiritual gifts and, and their use and purpose in the body of Christ. In chapter 12, as, as Pastor Kyle pointed out last week, Paul notes that what is important concerning spiritual gifts and their, and their function in the church is not so much the gifts themselves, but the common giver of these gifts. It is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God who endows and empowers every believer with the ultimate gift of himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the problem in the, in the Corinthian church was that people were, were holding up certain gifts and their exercise as more important and more, more promise, pr- prominent than others, more spiritual, if you will, than others. 
In particular, they saw as the, uh, as the more prominent gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and gifts uh, of knowledge and healing, and they were, ex- they were exalting the exercise and the display of these gifts and those who had them in such a way that it was creating divisions and, and causing others to think that their more, their more ordinary gifts must not matter or they themselves were somehow less gifted or of less value in the body of Christ. And in chapter 14, which we'll look at next week, Paul will go on to address specific instances of this problem and, 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 and it's being lived out in the, church, the, uh, service, the worship service of the church. But here, in the midst of, of this, this topic, Paul turns his attention to the necessary governing force, the, the motivating factor that has to be a part of the exercising our spiritual gifts and really anything that we do for the glory of God. We might call it the, the mortar that binds together the, the living stones in God's spiritual house or the, the lifeblood that flows through uh, and to the various members of the body of Christ. As Huey Lewis put it, it's the power of love. But it's not the kind of love sung about in pop songs. It's not the romantic passion or sexually oriented love that we see held up so prominently in our our culture oftentimes. It's not simply the warm feeling or attraction or sentimental attachment to somebody or to something. It's not the strong bond that we feel between family or, or friends and those who are close to us. All of, all of these we think about and we f- refer to as love, but Paul here is using the distinct term used in the New Testament to describe God who is love, and God's love, which has been manifested in Christ, laying down his life for us, and that love that has now been poured into our hearts, as we heard in Romans, by his spirit in us. This is how Leon Morris describes it. It is a love for the utterly unworthy, a love that proceeds from God, who is love. It's a love lavished on others without a thought of whether they're worthy to receive it or not. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover than from the merit of the beloved. It's this agape love, as the term in Greek is, that is the essence of Christian character, and it is essential, essential for Christian community. And as we look to, to renew our vision to live as Christ's ambassadors here in our community, it is the way of love that we need not just to see, but we need to seek to live that out in all of our relationships. And so Paul gives this account of, of that love, and his passage breaks down naturally into three sections that we'll look at under the headings of the priority of love, the practice of love, and the permanence of love. Paul begins by pointing to the priority of love, and he does it with a series of incredible statements in verses 1 to 3. Basically what he says here is that it is possible to be an amazingly gifted Christian or even a church of of, uh, doing powerful, passionate ministry but if, the, if love is absence, it is all meaningless. It is all worthless. And notice Paul speaks in the first person so as not to exclude himself 
from this possible indictment. He says, love is not an optional add-on in the Christian life. This is what Jesus reminded his disciples of. He said, this is the very mark of the Christian life. And here Paul notes the priority of love in the exercise of those gifts that, that we often place such high value on and by which we often measure the value of a church or a body of Christ. Solid, sound preaching and teaching. Knowledge and, and understanding of the mysteries of God and the, and the biblical doctrines found in his word. Deep abiding trust and faith that manifests itself in, in bold action and, and godly living and good deeds towards one another. Generosity and self-sacrifice. Paul is not un undervaluing these things or saying they are not vitally important to who we are in the body of Christ. He says back at the end of chapter 12, we should earnestly desire these things. But we can possess those gifts in great quantity and even with great quality in our lives and in the church. And absent of love, they are and we are of no value or effectiveness at all. Look at what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I could be the greatest speaker to ever ascend a pulpit, able to hold and capture uh, listeners in rapt attention, waxing eloquently with clever illustrations and, and powerful application, reasoning from the scriptures, doing it with a, a Scottish or an Australian accent, which is the preacher's version of the tongues of angels. But if what I say or anyone says and how I say it is not grounded and motivated by love for God and for those who hear it, if I'm more concerned with impressing people or gaining a following or being known as a good preacher, or if we're more concerned with that in the people who we sit under and listen to than we are with the love that they have for Christ and for one another. I might as well be standing up here just banging on this pulpit. Clanging that cymbal over there as loud as it could be. You might as well be listening to a, a dog just incessantly barking in the background. Roo, 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 roo. Paul says, you may be able to speak the very truths of God and grasp all the mysteries of faith, know your Bible and theology up and down, have every doctrinal I dotted and every T crossed. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Like a bunch, a book with a bunch of blank pages. Paul said of the Corinthians that, that their knowledge, and they boasted in their knowledge, they loved that they were very knowledgeable about things, but it was a knowledge that puffed up. It made them like a big windbag full of air. And you remember what he said? He said, but love builds up. <laughs> love is solid. Love is, 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 is working and is foundational. It's easier to be orthodox than it is to be loving, one writer said. It's easier to be orthodox than it is to be loving. We need both, but knowledge without love is simply dead orthodoxy. Meaningless, powerless, 
well, we might not be eloquent or have great knowledge, but at least we have great faith, don't we? We trust God to work in and through us. We rest in his sovereignty and goodness, no matter how difficult the circumstances, so much so that we see him at work in mighty ways all around us and through us. Paul says you can have faith that would move mountains, (laughs) but without love, it's nothing. What about generosity and good deeds? Give away all that you have in one grand sweeping gesture, like Jesus told the rich young ruler to to go and do, sacrifice everything, even laying down your own life. Isn't martyrdom the greatest demonstration of one's commitment to Christ? Not without love. (laughs) Without love, even such extreme generosity and sacrifice, Paul says, profits a person not at all. Net yield, zero. So you get the picture of what Paul is saying here. He wants us to realize that in following Christ and serving his people and his kingdom, what we do and how well we do it means nothing if it's not motivated or empowered, if it's not compelled and rooted in God's love for us in Christ and Christ's love in us and through us to the world. If in our desire to share the truth of the gospel, in our effort to grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge, if in our seeking to trust God in, uh, in every aspect of life, in our obedience, in, in giving all that we have and are for the Lord, if in all those things love is missing, we're treading water. We are spinning our wheels. We are getting nowhere. And brothers and sisters, that's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought for me. I know as I've studied this passage this week. Because I can be a pastor. We can be a people. We can be a church where all these things are happening. Where the word is being taught with passion and power. Where people are growing in knowledge and understanding of God. We are, where we're praying and trusting God to do great things. And stewarding our gifts both materially and, and spiritually for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. We can be a church that's known for all those good and important qualities and gifts. But if we're not a church that is loving God and loving one another and loving our neighbors, then guess what? We're not much of a church. The priority we must have is love. Now, I think most of us would say, that we do, that, that we hold love as a distinct priority in our lives. And, and, and we see that at work in one another. I'm not saying we don't. I love the Lord. I love my wife. I, I love my family deeply. I love you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love the opportunities God gives to, to serve him and see him at work in various ways. I desire, and I think we desire to love our neighbor and, and even strangers with generosity and with grace But what do we mean when we say that? What do we mean when we say we love those things or we want to love in that way? What does it look like? And that's where where Paul goes next. He, He gives this description of what I've called the practice of love. If love is truly a priority, then it will be lived out in practice. 
He gives this amazing description of the qualities or, or characteristics of love. And I, I call it the practice of love because even though it's not really reflected in many of our English translations, Paul is using verb forms here in this section to describe not just what love is, but what love does or does not do. Agape love is love in action. It's not passive. And the call to love in this radical way is not just, a, not just to, to feel kind or patient or humble, not just to say we want to be patient or kind or humble, but to actually act that way in our daily life and our relationships together. And just reading through this list, it doesn't take much to realize how utterly countercultural this is to, the, to, the, to, to what, we, what we typically see reflected when we talk about love in our world or in the church or maybe even in our own lives. Recently, the, the maintenance required light came on in my car as I was driving. It, it's, thankfully, it's not the, what is it, check engine light that means you have a problem. But it was just a, it's that light that comes on every, I guess, probably 10,000 miles. It pops up. And it's, it's a reminder for me to go to the maintenance manual where I can look up the mileage. And under the mileage is a list of all the things I need to, to check and be sure are still in order in order to, to maintain and care for the vehicle. But if I just go and read that list every time and then say, and even check the little boxes off and say, okay, that's good, I've covered that, without doing any of that uh, uh, work or, or maintenance, then it's not going to do any good. And Paul gives us here a kind, of, a kind of maintenance checklist for love. We can hold up these qualities to our lives and say, this is, this is how God created us to love and how he has loved us and, and how he, he calls us to, to, to love others. But if we don't actually put them into practice, if we don't actually love in this way, then it's not doing any good. And we don't have time to go deeply into each of these, but let's just, let's just look briefly at this love in practice. What does it look like? This is a great, I, I love going to this passage. Well, I don't actually love going to this passage because it's very convicting and, and humbling when you go to it, but it's a great way to go periodically and just say, am I loving in these ways? Or in what ways do I need to see God change me and grow me to love better? Love is patient, or literally love shows patience, or suffers long is the translation. Most of us tend to suffer short, don't we? We don't like interruptions. We don't like in inconveniences. We don't like to have our plans delayed or our agendas changed. I don't like it when I get stuck behind a, a slow driver on the way to an appointment that I'm, I'm running late to. Or when uh, a child wakes up in the middle of the night, we don't like for them to cry through the night. We don't like when we get put on hold for a half an hour over a simple question we want answered. We are not by nature patient with things or people that take our time and our energy. One writer describes this patient love as providing others the time they need to become what they are meant to be. I like that description. The time they need to become what they are meant to be. It recognizes God's work in the life of others 
and accepts the divinely appointed pace of that work. Love gives you and I the ability, God's love gives you and I the ability to be inconvenienced, to be taken advantage of, even to be sinned against without having to reciprocate, without having to, to dismiss others because they, we can't be patient with them. Love fosters this quality of self-restraint. Think about Jesus. Has anyone ever showed as much patience? He was reviled and spat upon, and yet he did not revile back. Jesus suffers long with us. And thus his love should enable us to suffer long with others. Love is kind or shows kindness. Patience and kindness reflect the very character of God. To be, to be kind <clears throat> is not just to be nice, but to actually do good towards others and for others. Are you kind in how you speak and how you respond and how you act towards others? Kindness is, is a means by which we encourage and seek to, to bless others. A note of encouragement, a word of praise or blessing, an act of, of just simple service. It's looking for ways to meet the needs and seek the blessings of others. Without, as remember the definition of love, without anything in return. <laughs> without expecting that it be reciprocated. Paul says love is patient and kind. Two words used very often to describe the character of God. In the life of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and then Paul turns to what love does not do in order, in a way to contrast the way, the way that many in the church at, at Corinth were behaving towards one another with this way of love. He says, love does not envy or boast. Jealousy and pride were fostering uh, much of the conflict and division in the church at Corinth and those two things foster much of the division and, and, uh, and conflict in the church in America today. They were looking for reasons to boast in who they were or what they had or what they knew. Paul says true love doesn't want what others has, have. It rejoices. It doesn't rejoice at others' losses. Love does not parade one's own accomplishments or possessions around so that others will notice. The love of Christ fosters a contentment with who we are and the circumstances in which God has us. And so love here serves as a, as a kind of mirror to, to deflect honor and praise to others and more importantly, back to the Lord. Love is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't feel the need to express and display one's rightness. It doesn't feel the need to, to press one's opinion or to put one's own interest above others. Love doesn't rush to be at the head of the line or to get the best seat or to brag about one's accomplishments. I think oftentimes we feel the need to, to build ourselves up by actually tearing others down, either through gossip or through um, online, social media. But Christian love demonstrates a desire to treat others as better than ourselves. It doesn't enter in arrogantly or rudely in relationships. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. 
The believer does not love for what he or she can get out of it. Of all these, all these qualities, this is perhaps the one that goes most directly counter to our society's understanding and view, and, and maybe many of our understanding and view of, of love. Love is all about, in that sense, what we get, not what we actually give to others. When we stop receiving, then we stop loving. Christ's love, however, says, what can I give? How can I look out for the needs of those around me? How can I not seek my own way, my own agenda, but pursue the interest of others? Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. This is the other side of the patience coin. Love is, is not easily provoked into anger or resentment by those around us. Another way to think about this is love does not hold a grudge. How many times do I find myself forgiving someone for something and then later on I'm dredging up that wrong all again and rehashing it in my mind when I come in contact with them? The word here for resentful means to literally to really, literally catalog or write down debts against people as they wrong us. Some, some people have run out of storage in their resentment app. It's full. But love keeps no such ledger. It doesn't, doesn't store those things away. It's quick to forgive wrongs. And love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Are we drawn to or entertained by true stories or videos of people's evil acts or sad misfortunes? True love does not find pleasure or joy in what is evil, but rather finds joy in walking in God's truth. It pursues true virtue and seeks to know and uphold God's truth. And Paul finishes with this, this, uh, this kind of sweeping... Um, uh, overarching work of love. Love bears all things, meaning it is merciful. It puts up with difficulties of life and of others for the sake of the gospel and the, the, the good of others. Love is truly able to hate sin, but love the sinner and bear the burdens of others in grace. Love believes all things, meaning it is trusting, it is faith-filled, it embraces and trusts in the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And so love seeks to create an atmosphere of trust where we are willing to give others the benefit of the doubt. We are willing to believe the best of those around us. It's not naive or gullible. It doesn't just accept everything without, without any kind of judgment or discernment. But it trusts in God's promises and in his providence at work through those promises in our lives and in the lives of others. Love hopes all things, meaning that, that true love is optimistic. It never accepts failure as final. When we love someone, we never, we never say, well, that person's just never going to amount to anything. Or God can never do anything with them. Love looks at that child that struggles and causes problems maybe for, for us as parents and, 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 and says, God has something special in store for that child. <laughs> God is going to work and is working in that child. Love hopes all things. Love constantly hopes because we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And love endures all things. It stands firm 
against the odds and never gives up. Love bears up under the strain which dying to self and bearing one's cross for Christ often bring. And love perseveres to the end. To live with love like that is no easy feat, brothers and sisters. In fact, it's impossible for you and for me apart from God's supernatural work of love in us. In other words, this love is simply a reflection of, it is an overflow of the love that Christ himself has given to you and to me. Go back and read those verses, verses 4 through 7, and in the place of of love, put the name Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He he does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Jesus embodies this love. And therefore, this love is embodied in you and me by the work of his spirit in us. And this kind of love cannot happen in our lives unless we have known and received that love ourselves in Christ. Leon Morris said, Christian love proceeds from the nature of the lover. Apart from Jesus Christ, our nature bears none of the qualities that Paul lists here. But as new creatures in Christ, as those who have known and experienced and believed and trust in that love that God has for us in Christ's propitiation on the cross for our sins, in the spirits being poured out into our hearts, in the hope that we have, that nothing can separate us from God's love. As new creatures in Christ now bearing his nature in us, he empowers us and enables us to love as he loves. He equips us to do what he commands us to do. And Paul reminds us that it is that divine love given by God, lived out by his people in the body of Christ, that is permanent And will never end. He says, many of the gifts given by God to his church are temporary. They are for this time, this time between Christ's uh, coming uh, coming to earth and, and, and showing us the love of God and his death and his resurrection, death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And that time when he will return and that love will be perfected in us at the coming of his kingdom. And Paul says these gifts of of prophecy and of tongues and of knowledge, these things will, will eventually pass away. Right now those things are significant. Those things are necessary because we are still in process, so to speak. We are still on the journey. 
Our knowledge and our understanding and our experience of God's truth are, are still growing. They are still limited. We only see in part. We only know in part. We can only, in many ways, love in part from the way we should fully love. We are like children still learning and growing and maturing. And God is a gracious father. And Jesus is a good shepherd leading and guiding and caring for us. Now, Paul says, we see as in a mirror. Sometimes I'll go in my bathroom and look in the mirror and it reflects out into the, uh, the bedroom there and it reflects out to the window. And every now and then I'll catch a glimpse of something out in the front yard through the mirror and I'll look and I'll see and I'll go, what is that? And I, and I can't see it clearly. And then I go and I look right out the window directly and there you can see what it is, what it, what, what it was it was catching attention. And Paul says, in some ways, that's how we, we, we live now. We don't see everything clearly. Some things may be a little bit fuzzy, but one day we will see, he says, face to face. And when that time comes, we will know God. We will know one another as he truly is, even as he fully knows us as we are. We will be perfected in a way that makes the need for prophecy and for preaching, for knowledge and for doctrine, for, for healing and for miracles and all the other gifts needed for, for the building up of one another in faith in this life. It will make them all obsolete. But one thing won't cease, and that is love. <laughs> love. God's love, our love from him, Love will always and forever mark the body of Christ, not only here on earth, but in heaven as well, we, where we will naturally live and love the way Paul describes here. But he says, until that time, such love is to be the priority, it is to be the practice of God's people so that others may experience that, others may know his love, and that we may know it more and more. And I am so thankful because I have seen that love lived out and growing here at Ambassador Presbyterian Church for 25 years. No, we have not loved perfectly. I think each of us can probably look at this list and say, yes, I have, we have an abundance of room to grow in this kind of love for one another and for those around us. We have not always been patient or kind. We have at times and are at times prideful, irritable, rude, envious, resentful. We haven't always borne or believed or hoped or endured with one another all the things that God is doing in our lives together. And yet... God's love remains. Jesus continues to love you and me in every single one of these ways. And he calls us to keep pursuing the more excellent way of love together. And so I want to encourage us this morning, encourage you this morning, to give thanks and praise to God for the way he actually enables us to live this love out together 
But I also want to challenge us this morning. Because we do have room to grow. I have room to grow. You have room to grow. We all have room to grow in the way that we love as God has loved us. And so I want to challenge us this morning as we, as we do seek to carry out our vision to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ right here where he has placed us in this community and to the world, worshiping God, caring for one another, reaching out with the gospel in our community to ask ourselves, in what ways would God change me? What ways would God change us in order that his love might be displayed in this way? There's a checklist right there. <laughs> Let us not just read it. Let us not just go through and think, yeah, maybe, yeah, check, 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 check. Let us ask God to, to impress that upon us such that as we go about living our lives together, as we go about seeking to reach out in our community, as we go about caring for one another in our ministries here at Ambassador and, 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 and reaching out to others through those, that we would do it in love, in the love that God has given us so that he might be glorified and that his kingdom might be grown, and that we would live and, and experience his love in a powerful way that would transform us day in and day out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Lord, you have loved us by literally laying down your life, not for friends, but for sinners, for your enemies. Father, thank you for your love, which you have poured out upon us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you that that love is reflected in the way we live in relationship to one another and love one another. And Lord, if there are places in our lives, and there surely are, where we are failing miserably to love as you have loved us, convict us. But don't just convict us, change us. Give us the desire. Give us the heart. Give us the humility to live out that love together in the body of Christ such that the world might see how we love one another and they might come to know the one you, who you have sent, your son Jesus, and your love through him in the gospel. Father, would you do this in us? We cannot do it in ourselves. Where we have not loved, Lord, make us quick to go and confess. 
but do your work of love in us. We ask humbly in Christ's name. Amen.